we are back with a little bit more of to ride a silver broomstick we're just picking up back with where my recording session was curtailed in search of sandwich and um all the previous disclaimers still apply this is still just my opinion guys this is how i felt while i was reading the book you might have a completely different experience if you're really that bothered about it go and buy a copy and i hope if you already like the book that my opinion doesn't change your mind about it or that you can't handle someone having a different opinion to you which would be very sad so without further ado we'll jump back straight into what we were doing previously and get on with the rest of the review of silver ravenwolves to ride a silver broomstick back and fortified with caffeine i will push on now into chapter 16 which is spell casting working rituals and drawing down the moon that's the dog leaving the room. He doesn't want to be a part of this. So we get into a little section at the beginning of this, which is about energy and alcohol, energy and drugs. And I don't know how many switchbacks and changes of opinion there were in this section, but quite a few. So try and keep up. Under energy and alcohol, it says... To be honest, you should not be doing any magic if you're drunk or hungover. Your body should be clear of alcohol for at least 24 hours before performing magic. Which is all well and good, but a lot of people will do rites in circle, which involve taking a sip or two of wine. There'll be revelries, there'll be circles where you do have maybe a glass of wine. And to be honest, I don't think that's going to affect anyone that badly. Also, she makes a point about how alcoholics should be made welcome in a circle. So maybe not having alcohol within circle, which is definitely something that you can keep in mind if you have someone who's an alcoholic in your circle. But... I think for a general rule, it's not really something a solitary practitioner is going to have to consider. Then we get into energy and drugs. It says, rather than get into a massive argument here, let's be logical. In the United States, a drug that is illegal has no place in a craft circle. Now, I definitely get the point of that in that illegal drugs should not be used at any point, especially not in circle. I do think that the use of illegal drugs should be discouraged. But the use of legal ones, is that something that we can talk about? maybe i don't know again i feel like this is one of those subjects that she didn't want to get too embroiled in because of the image problem that wicca had kind of at its outset where people were like oh no it's just satanism and drugs and young people ah when you know you kind of want to distance yourself from that but then later on in that section it says flat out drugs and magic are simply not good working partners there's a lot of like shamanistic traditions that would disagree there that you know used drugs or um natural substances um like pulk i think that's how you say it which is like a dried cactus type drink thing um used in some like ancient aztec rituals again i think not very okay with it also some people uh, nowadays smoke weed the fat feminist witch podcast had like a whole thing about weed on it it's again a lot a thing that a lot of people do and which is now legal in parts of america so again i feel like this is a little bit dated uh, a look at that and then right after that section where it's like you shouldn't do drugs you shouldn't do alcohol there's just a random paragraph that says when you become a witch you are letting yourself and the world know that you are responsible for your own actions those people that abuse drugs and alcohol can't be real witches because they are relying on self-denial to get them through life and are not taking responsibility for what they are doing to their bodies their families and the universe in general self-denial is kind of the opposite of being addicted to something in, in my opinion if self-denial is literally denying yourself things 
like dieting or going cold turkey. I don't know about that being a thing that makes you can't be a real witch. I mean, it's definitely not good for you, and I'm not saying that it is good to abuse drugs or alcohol, but you can still be a witch while doing those things, just like you can still be a Christian and do those things. You can have a religious practice, but also be suffering from alcoholism. I don't want people to be thinking like, oh, well, I have a drug problem. I'm not allowed to practice my religion anymore. I've been shut out of that spiritual side of my life because that's just horrible. So again, not not a great section and not one that really sort of gels well together because it can't really seem to make up its mind whether, whether she wants to say drugs are bad, don't do them, or just, you know, I don't want to come down one side or the other, just say don't do illegal drugs. Anywho, moving on to the spell sections... It says at the bottom of page 175, the spell alone without its partner, the working ritual. I don't know what that is, the working ritual. I mean, I kind of get the idea of it because I've been practicing for a while, but the, the, to introduce that and then to not instantly define what it is on that page is, is kind of worrying. We don't find out what the working ritual is until page 181. So that's later on. Again, kind of a weird order to do things in. Don't mention it before you've introduced it. Um, and then she gives kind of a basic outline for um, composing the spell, some ideas about how to use that. She says on page 177, I also now add a new sentence, a line that has been said belonged to Sybil Leak, to this standard formula, and that line is, in no way will this spell reverse or place upon me any curse as I will so mote it be. She mentions this a couple more times. There's different variations on this, like, in no way shall this spell come back on me and cause problems, bless it be. I don't like this. I do not like when spells do this. And I'm not, like, ragging on Silver Ravenwolf for this, because this out of all the other things is, like, personal preference. She can do that if she wants to. I think it's silly, because it's basically like ending a spell with no takesies, backsies. It's, it's very kind of childlike and saying, like, instead of taking the time to carefully think of a spell... And, and focus all of the language with that spell and focus your intent on doing exactly what you want and nothing else. You're just adding a quick line to the end of, you know, a, a subpar rushed spell saying, in no way will this come back on me or hurt anybody else. The end. Ten times more than you can ever say, infinity. It, it, it just, it seems a little bit naive, a little bit childish to me. Then we get into, surprisingly, right after we've been introduced to the idea of spellcraft for the first time, performing magic for others. Again, I don't know why this book is so obsessed with like, oh, you can do divination with tarot. Here's how you can go about doing that for other people. I think you should really encourage most people in like Wicca 101 books or people just starting out in witchcraft to mainly work on themselves. Mostly one from a spiritual development point of view where you're just trying to like obviously develop yourself and get to know what your powers are like but also if you've just started out with magic don't start just randomly offering to do spells for other people because that way lies only madness and bad things just you know try a few out yourself first before you start interfering with other people and then we get in on the once born thing once again on page 179 even practicing magic with another's consent can present problems especially in a love spell and especially if the target is a once born who says Sure, go ahead, bracket, pant, pant, closed bracket. I don't know what that's meant to imply, that the once born is kind of like panting after a love spell. That's kind of gross. And then, you are gambling with their ignorance of magic and the power that can be manifested. The most bizarre story I ever heard was of a once born and his witch mistress, who was single at the time. So enamoured were they with each other that he consented to allow her to practice magic on him to heighten his desire for her. What could it hurt, right? 
Oh my! Well, something went very wrong and he wound up divorcing his wife and leaving his witch mistress and moving in with another once born. The real twist to this sad story, however, is that for years they were still linked psychically much in the manner of twins. Here, it basically makes witches out to be almost a separate species to once born. Like, oh, he was a once born man with his witch mistress in the same way that you would say he was a French man with a British mistress, which obviously the French aren't a different species. That that would that would be a weird thing to say. But it is increasing this demarcation between the two things when really the only difference between what Silver Ravenwolf is calling a once born and a witch is someone saying, Hey, you know what I'm gonna do today? Research witchcraft and start practicing witchcraft. And then bang, you're no longer a once born. There is no real difference there, but she's trying to make it into a very us and them type thing. And if it's so stupid to go out and do magic on once borns because gosh golly, they're just so dumb and inexperienced in the ways of magic that they get confused and upset then maybe she shouldn't be recommending that you start doing that literally three pages after you learn to do your first spell we then get into drawing down the moon the the magic of the working ritual etc etc and then magical alphabets on page 183 i had a little bit of a problem with this i'm not going to harp on for too long but basically it is a column of english which is the alphabet a to z and then the alphabet again a to z in theban malachim um malachim malachim don't know egyptian hieroglyphics greek and then uh phoenician and these are presented as if they are a to z now i don't really know a huge amount about hieroglyphics or how any of that works i think the greek alphabet is fairly analogous to the alphabet that you know we use on a day-to-day -day basis i have no idea about the other languages but i'm fairly certain that hieroglyphics don't work in that bird means a foot means b weird cup thing means c because i feel like we still don't really know a lot about what ancient egyptian hieroglyphics say and the rosetta stone was kind of like a big deal and kind of hard to decipher and if it was simply as a equals bird then we probably would have gotten there by now so what silver actually says to do with this is on page 184 a spell is carefully worded in english first to be sure you have composed it properly then select a magical alphabet that you feel comfortable with and translate letter for letter onto the paper with the India ink. And then it says some alphabets do not have your standard 26 letters, so you may have to use phonetics to complete your work. So basically what you will have written is gibberish, because you will have written it phonetically in an alphabet that is probably not analogous to the A to Z alphabet that we use. So it will be just rubbish. And then underneath that it says, why use an alphabet that you are not familiar with? Because you aren't familiar with it. It lends more mystery to the spell. Basically, this is a way of saying it's more aesthetically pleasing and makes me feel more witchy, so I'm going to do it. And then it says any spell written or spoken in a foreign language will pack a good wallet because you're repeating or writing on faith, which is very powerful indeed. Now, there are ways to do this. You can make up um, sigils, obviously, which are symbols that you've created that have the meaning you ascribe to them. Um, I sometimes have used um, Google Translate to put very simple English sentences into Latin and get that as close as possible to what I want to say. And I'll translate it back and forth until I'm happy with what it actually says in Latin, um, as opposed to like what it says in English. And I did a teeny bit of Latin at school, so that can kind of help me out in working out what I want to say. Uh, and I've used that once or twice on making magical objects because I do think it's nice to have something written on them that if someone picks up that magical object, they won't be able to read and understand the intent behind the spell. I am not terribly um, 
happy with the idea of doing a whole spell that way especially when you're going to say i've seen on instagram people posting spells that are like uh, a couple of paragraphs long and they're all in latin and they're like this is a spell for money and i'm like no one knows what that fucking says this is stupid it's also an image so you can't even like google translate it without typing it all out again but don't be saying spells that you don't know what you're saying also just randomly just picking a magical alphabet or um a historic alphabet from a country that isn't yours to use appropriately because it looks cool is just a bit stupid in my opinion um but yeah again something that she says to do then on page 185 we have breaking a spell this is for if a spell has backfired and you need to fix it now conventional wisdom on this that i've read in a couple of books is that you can't really break a spell once it's done the energy's out there it's like trying to unsay something that you said you can't take that back you can either apologize for it and move on or just just try and work past it whatever way you can um but she has a, a spell for this and it says on the eve of blank i cast a spell and the effects i created i must now quell specifically blank may this spell be lifted and i now be gifted specifically with blank so basically when the spell that you did in a foreign language you don't understand um, comes back to bite you on the ass, even though you said no takesies backsies at the end, you can do a handy other little spell that says, I got this instead, but I would like this. Sort of like if you're at a, a, a McDonald's or something and you unwrap your burger and you're like, wait a minute, this is a fish fillet. And then you, that rhymed. And then you take it back to the window and you're like, I have received this instead of this. I would like this. And they'll be like, but you you ordered in pig latin what were you expecting being a little bit facetious but i don't really care i'm keeping myself amused this has been going for quite a while now uh, and then on page 195 is the part where it says to carve things into your candle with your athme as opposed to the bowling which i mentioned earlier she also says that you should have um in your witch cabinet uh candles of every color at least two of each color because there is nothing more frustrating to realise that you than that you run out of black candles and a friend is in desperate need of repelling negativity. Well, then in that case, you're just going to have to fucking make do, aren't you? You don't need a black candle to get rid of negativity. I mean, it helps, colour magic-wise. But if you can't make it work without a black candle, what kind of a witch are you, really? She even says earlier in that paragraph that white is the universal colour and can be used for anything else. White candles can be used for anything, even if you don't have candles you can probably still cobble together something to get rid of negativity which doesn't involve candles in any way you just need to think on your feet a little bit more uh, then on page 196 there was something that i just found quite bizarre so i thought i'd mention it it says lighting extinguishing and disposing of candles and it says light all illumination candles deity candles daily candles and focus candles with a lighter or birthday candle do not use matches, as the sulphur is not compatible to your working. I don't know what that means. I don't know that Silver Ravenwolf knows what that means. Because um, she doesn't say that what sulphur stands for in terms of like it as an ingredient, or how that might affect your magical workings. Also, I've always used matches because lighters just feel kind of um, modern, and I don't really tend to like having modern things in the circle with me so i'll use matches um and if i'm playing music or something on like my laptop that will be outside the circle i just don't like 
modern looking things which is a personal preference you can definitely use a lighter and i would in a push use a lighter but i prefer matches i don't know anything about why you wouldn't be able to use matches i've certainly never read that anywhere else and to be honest i think she's just linking sulfur to satan and saying that that's a bad thing i don't know what she's saying let's be honest and then she follows that up with the old um don't blow out candles or pinch them out uh, use a candle snuffer uh, which is something that i have read elsewhere but to be honest i don't know that it really matters it's just a matter of personal preference but again it's presented in this way of do it this way or not at all because she says to extinguish a candle do not pinch it as you pinch out the desire and do not blow it out as you blow the desire away from yourself she's not saying like some people believe this some people don't she's just saying that this is fact there are some quite nice little candle spells in there I have to say that was quite an, an interesting section, especially uh, when she talks about um, how to get them to work quicker. You can put two pins in the candle and say when the candle burns to the first pin, the process of whatever you want to put in there will begin. And then when it reaches the second pin, um, when this candle burns to this pin, the process of whatever will come to a successful completion and end, which isn't very poetic, but is kind of a cool idea that you could definitely um, work some stuff out with. Then we go into a little bit of doll and poppet magic and some uh, spells to use in like binding and things. Then there's a section on gems, herbs and healing, which has some ideas. Um, it has a couple of different kinds of gemstones. The magical use of herbs is really short. It doesn't. It's not even a full page. It's just like a little list of about 20 different plants. And each one has like three magical meanings ascribed to it but then there is also a further reading section at the end of the chapter which gives a bit more information on books you can get about herbs so i was pretty happy with that there's also a thing about harvesting plants and herbs empowering plants using them for healing there was nothing like really wrong with that to me it, it just was basic stuff and a good introduction the end of it was the laying on of hands so it teaches you how to like lay hands on people and heal them and healing another person and again i felt that was the same as a lot of other sections in the book where you learn something and two pages later you expect to be able to market this skill to others but there we go and then we finally get to section four challenging shadows now this section i did kind of skim through because to be honest the sections were about telepathy psychometry mind power by location and these are not things that i believe in so i felt there was very little value in me really reading about them too closely I did read like the passages, I just kind of skimmed them and wasn't looking at them too closely. And I kind of like that she's talking about like basically everyone can develop these psychic skills, it's not like a special thing. Um, some people are more open, some people are less open, but you can open yourself up so it's fine. But then she goes into talking about body language and um, interpreting like facial movements. And that's not really um, telepathy, that's being a mesmerist. Um, or you know like professional stage psychic in air quotes not actually being psychic psychic and then there's talking about empathy which i don't know about you listener dear listener i feel like everyone and their dog in the pagan community thinks they're an empath and i'm kind of sick of it um i'm sure there are some people who are but i think a lot of people get confused with oh sometimes i feel bad when something bad happens to people that makes me an empath and i'm like no it just makes you not a sociopath sharon and then we get into psychometry or psychometry which is about like picking up psychic feelings from inanimate objects uh, and things and like reading their history which is mildly interesting but again not really something i believe in 
Then we get into chapter 20, astral projection, bilocation and power animals, which is all about like, like travelling on the astral, finding your like barrier animal or whatever she wants to call it, uh, and shape-shifting with it on the astral. Again, not a huge amount in there that I found noteworthy. It was quite a brief introduction, but at least an attempt was made to have an introduction. And then we get to chapter 21, the Summerland Death and Reincarnation, which is many chapters after the idea of reincarnation was first introduced. This section basically starts out by saying that these are like big questions of birth and death and where do we go when we die, which most of us maybe think about a bit, but mostly we believe what is told to us by the religion at the time but at a certain point we have to grow up and start making up our own minds about things which basically seems like another dig at christianity but there we go and here's where silver starts to jump back on the old logic train page 258 she says few world religions do not believe in reincarnation the logical process of living dying and living again on the earth plane some religions also believe in transmigration, where an individual soul may enter not only the body of a human, but the body of a plant or animal. So again, it's like, okay, say some major world religions do believe in reincarnation, like Hinduism, Buddhism, but at the same time, a lot of major world religions, mainly the Abrahamic ones, Christianity, Islam and Judaism, don't believe in reincarnation. So it's, it's basically like a 50-50 split, but... Disreg she disregards that by saying like oh well it's the logical process of living dying and living again as if that is any more logical than believing that we live and then we die and then our soul lives somewhere else in the afterlife but we don't actually come back to this plane how is one more logical than the other i don't know she then kind of ties herself in knots talking about hell because she says I believe that we could do any of these things, that we have a definite choice in the matter, unless we have been particularly rotten, and that there is some sort of holding pen for truly perverted people, brackets, I hope, close brackets. Though I don't believe in the typical hell, I certainly hope there is something like it for people like Hitler and a few other bad eggs I can think of, which is, of course, don't believe in hell. But I do believe that we can create our own right here on this plane, both for ourselves and for others. So she's like, I don't believe in hell, but I do believe in a bad place that bad people go after they die. But that's not hell because witches don't believe in hell. But we can make hell on earth if we really wanted to. So that makes no buggering sense. It's just kind of like someone trying to say that they believe in hell when they don't. I mean, an easier solution would be to say, well, maybe bad people get reincarnated to something worse due to like karma, like in, you know, the other religions that believe in reincarnation. But. That, 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 that's not what we get from that and then she gets right back into logic mode on 259 which is it is logical to assume that most people go to the summerland how is that logical i mean logic is something that you use to to work out problems like if i throw something in the air and it comes back down it's logical to assume that anything that i throw up in the air will come back down it's it's just basing things on things that have gone before but to say it's logical that people go to the summerland why this has not been observed to be true this is just something that you believe. You haven't even at this point really defined what the Summerland is. You've just said the Summerland, like we're all meant to just know what that is. This has kind of always been a sticking point with me and my belief in Wicca. I don't really kind of jive with that reincarnation, Summerland, afterlife thing, which to be honest isn't very well fleshed out in terms of an afterlife idea. I genuinely don't spend a huge amount of time worrying about what happens after we die. 
Um, I do kind of believe in spirits and ghosts and the impressions that people leave behind. I'm not 100% sold on whether I think that, that is the whole of their being or just a sort of echo of their earthbound selves. Um, I don't know what I believe happens after we die. Eventually I'll find out, as we all will, but, you know, even if it's just nothing and we go back into the ground and get into like the life cycle that way by being broken down and used by nature, that's fine by me. I don't know that we need to put a huge amount of effort into an afterlife myth or, you know, a reincarnation myth just because, you know, we want to be a religion that's different to Christianity. I don't know that we need to have this kind of centralised idea of an afterlife. And I don't know that that works when a lot of people will follow different pantheons which believe in different afterlifes. So how are you going to worship like Hades, Lord of the Underworld, when you don't believe in the Underworld? It's very strange to me. Anyway, then we get into aliens, which is a subject that I didn't think we were going to have to talk about in this book, and which kind of put me back into the mind of when she was talking about those like subliminal message tapes and biolocation experiments and all this other kind of kooky 1960s American stuff that uh, horror films are based on, but which other than that doesn't have like a huge amount to do with witchcraft or Wicca in my view. When she starts talking about aliens, it says on page 259 again. I recently read a statement noting that there are more people alive today than if you added all the people up since time began. Does this throw a kink in the reincarnation theory? If all these people are alive today, they then can't have all been reincarnated from an earth life. This is true. However, I believe that there are many souls here at this time who have not been earthlings before. Society today plays hard with the idea of other inhabited planets and dimensions. Just about everyone these days has seen at least one UFO. Have we? I fucking haven't. If everyone out there is, comment below if you're watching on YouTube or get in touch via Twitter to tell me your UFO experiences because I'd be genuinely interested to know if anyone has had one. Continuing. Could it not be then that many souls here now are from various planets, perhaps sent here to protect Earth Mother or bring some type of religious or scientific awakening? This is putting me in mind of one of those like weird cults that people joined in like the 1960s that kind of went on for about five years and then changed into five other different cults and broke up. And we have another occurrence of the logical phenomenon on this page as well, which says reincarnation then is logical. It slights no one. All men and women are created equal. You can't just decide what human attributes and detriments you wish to work with. And this is actually something I wanted to talk about. Because basically, Silver claims that the idea of reincarnation is that you decide what you want to come back as. That's how wicked reincarnation works, apparently. And it says... This is where the statement, there are no victims, only volunteers, comes into play. I believe you can choose your parents, the society in which to return, the type of career you will have, who you must help or what you must do. And I believe you choose your own time and method of death. You also choose your physical condition, your body chemistry and your DNA structure, which is why some of us have the capability to be rocket scientists and others fill the role of artist or writer. Now, that's not anything to do with DNA. That's just what job you do. So uh, I don't know what she's saying there. Basically, what she's saying is before you get reincarnated, you get to pick basically every aspect of the life you're going to lead. So, you know, if you have abusive parents or if you're born into a race that is persecuted, 
um, in the part of the world where you've apparently pre-chosen to be born, or you're born with some sort of medical condition, or you are born gay and are persecuted for that, um, or if you are murdered, or if you have a horrible accident, you chose that to happen to you. So it's your fault. No one else's. You chose that. That's the decision that you made for yourself, and it's your fault. No one else's which is disgusting and honestly probably one of the worst things that I read in this book. That and the aliens thing, I think this whole cha- this whole section with the, the, the aliens and the victim blaming were two ideas that I'd never thought would be side to side, but I guess if you get probed, it's because you decided you wanted to be, is what I'm saying. Wow. Anywho, then she talk- starts talking about old souls who have people who have lived several lifetimes which if we believe in reincarnation that's probably the majority of people yes but whatever and then we get thumping into past lives past lives is another thing like being an empath that people are very chatty about online um which is fine like if you want to talk about past lives and your belief in past lives that's fine if you want to claim special knowledge because of your past life i'm going to stop you right there because i don't believe in past lives so tangentially i don't believe that you have special knowledge and i think it is one of those things that people kind of believe in and then kind of bring it to wicker with them because it's another thing they're interested in but i do think it's weird that just as people never find ghosts from like the early 90s people don't seem to have past lives where they were just a boring normal person they were all like cleopatra or Mary Queen of Scots chief handmaiden or something ridiculous so I don't really believe in past lives and I kind of skimmed this section because I thought it was silly but what I found weirdly amusing but also annoying on page 261 is where Silver talks about her own past lives so she says even before I knew that it was possible to live again I hated being a child I despised it often I would sit in our backyard and ponder this intense dislike of being a child again It was not that I had a bad childhood, quite the opposite. My parents weren't rich, but they weren't destitute either. Oh, a good choice there then, Silver. Good job you picked your own parents. They didn't drown themselves in booze or drugs. They didn't beat on each other or me. And what arguments they did have, I never heard. Aw, sounds lovely. Then it says, But in my heart, I knew that things were not as I was being taught. And the frustration I experienced was great indeed. I knew what I learned in Sunday school was wrong. That I was being taught an incorrect theology. But I didn't know how to word it and certainly couldn't at that age discuss it with my parents. It is one thing to be frustrated over known variables. It is another to be clawing at the heavily shrouded truths that lurk among us. The thing that really sticks out to me there is incorrect theology. I don't think there can be such a thing as an incorrect theology. Because when you get down to it, a theology is just about belief in God, in religion. And none of those things are really provably false because they're just beliefs that people have. Now, obviously, if you have a belief that is about physical reality, like if you believe that there are gods that live on top of Mount Olympus, you can get a helicopter up there and have a look for yourself. And, you know, they're not there. But then you could always just say that, you know, they're incorporeal or they're in a sort of different dimension, which exists sort of simultaneously with ours. But that means we can't see them. It's very difficult, is what I'm saying, to prove someone's beliefs incorrect you can disagree with them you can hold different beliefs but at the end of the day really there are no incorrect beliefs there are just incorrect actions that people take based on their beliefs it's all the same thing as opinions but what she's saying is that the whole time she was being educated presumably about christianity she was like 
this is wrong, this is all wrong and we're being taught lies, as opposed to this is not something that I agree with and that doesn't speak to me. And I think that's basically the problem with her attitude towards Christianity overall, is this whole idea that she wants Wicca as a religion to be respected, she wants her right to practice her religion, but at the same time she wants to piss on Christianity at every point, because Christianity is wrong and bad. And it's like, no, what we really want is for people to just leave each other alone and do their own thing and say, you can be a Christian, I can be a pagan, we can share a fence and be neighbours and it's fine. But it seems like what she wants is pagan supremacy, which we'll get into later because she does talk about how Christianity is going to die out and that's going to be wonderful. So uh, I don't want to spoil that for you guys. At the end of the section on reincarnation, she does have a little paragraph about drawing your own conclusions about how we should all continue looking for the answers but what she doesn't really say is that maybe reincarnation is not one of those answers it's very much presented as oh yeah reincarnation is real and what witches believe in oh but you can go on and form your own conclusions about how exactly that works because i can't be bothered to tell you then we talk about death and specifically the angel of death which is pretty ballsy because not everyone again believes in angels then we get into death and witchcraft and how that works around the, the wheel of the year and then we get into death and birth and ceremonies to do with um, like christenings and marriages essentially and here we have another dig at christianity because we see on page 265 it is my belief that hand fastenings are far more sacred marriages than those conventionally performed by any state or standard religion in this ceremony you are creating a bind that will exist after this incarnation is over since this is such a solemn occasion as well as joyful, witches can first be handfasted for one full year on a trial basis. At the end of the year, if both parties are in agreement, the ceremony will then be held beyond the bounds of time. That's not entirely accurate because the way I understand it is handfastings work on a year and a day, or you can do until we decide to part, or the traditional like until death has part, or forever. But again, she's saying, oh, well, I think handfastings are better than conventional religion which is her opinion that's fine she's allowed to say that but she doesn't go into why or justifying it and considering this is a whole book about her opinions you would expect there to be some justification there and then she talks about um the gifts that you should give as a solitary uh when attending a wickening or christening ceremony um and about maybe you having to perform weddings because you know we've nearly finished our whole first book about witchcraft guys it's time to think about becoming clergy uh, and then weirdly at the end of this section uh, about death and reincarnation we learn about time and the perception of time and she says that witches can bend time and the exercise for doing this is next time you're in a rush driving somewhere just slow down just take your time just drive normally without rushing don't cause an accident and then when you get to your destination Check the time and see if you're late. If you aren't, you bent time. If you are, better luck next time. That's not really how that works. I don't think people can actually bend time. You can make time kind of pass faster in terms of your perception of it. For instance, I've been talking about this fucking book for an hour and 45 minutes, including a sandwich break. So that's gone pretty fast. But yesterday at work, half an hour took forever to go past that's just about our perception of time it's not about us actually bending time to our will and then finally we get into section 22 there's no such thing as a white witch which kind of goes against quite a lot of what we've read so far she says um on page 269 when i had been studying the craft for about two years my husband said to me 
You know there really is no such thing as a white witch. The concept is a dream of perfection. He is right. First, let me explain that the terms black or white witch have no racial connotations whatsoever. Wow, Silver, thank you for explaining how racism doesn't exist. You're a white lady, so you're allowed to decide that. I'm being a little bit facetious here, and obviously I'm also a white lady, so it's not up to me to say whether these things are racist. But a great deal of practitioners of colour have come out and said, you know, it's kind of a bit weird that we call supposedly good positive magic white and negative evil magic black. And that a lot of those black magic things tend to be to do with like voodoo dolls, puppets, things like voodoo, santeria, that type of thing. Those things tend to be portrayed as being evil. And the more sort of white European wicker star magic tends to be portrayed as being good and positive. But uh, yeah, pretty ballsy to just jump in and say the words black and white have no racial connotations whatsoever. In America. And then finally, on page 270, we get the rule of three. This is meant to be a book about Wicca, and yet somehow we have managed to learn about spellcraft and divination before we got taught basic magical ethics. Um, And again, that's something that I have a major problem with. In Kate West's book, before you even get to the magic, even in her spell book, uh, Spell in Your Pocket, which I've reviewed previously, she does magical ethics before she does spells. Because that's the order you generally do things in. Before you teach someone how to do something, you teach them why it's important that they do it in the right way. That's why you do a theory test before you do your practical driving test. Before you learn to do something, you should know the proper ways in which to do it without hurting people. It's just fucking common sense. But no, we get the rule of three on page 270 kind of squeezed into one section. And she basically says that when you start out, it's easy to take a hard and fast line with being good and later on those lines may become more blurred which i actually agree with because once you know more about what you're doing um, and the power that you have it becomes a little bit difficult in terms of only using it in ways that you approve of and you'll obviously see things and experience more things that change your moral compass from being so absolute however she does end that section with yet another dig at christianity it says I believe one of the biggest problems which is faced today is the influx of Christianity and its turn-the-other-cheek melodrama. More and more individuals are leaving the Christian kingdom in favour of ours, but they bring with them brains that have been hammered for years with another philosophy. The world is not run by the meek and the meek aren't going to inherit it. The difficulty is not so much the doctrine itself, but those that carry it with them into various craft organisations. If we laid down and put our paws up in the air tomorrow, our children would not be the better for it. So again, that's a dig at Christianity, at people coming from Christianity. As I presume the, the majority of people, being white American teens, will be reading this book. As if Christianity has nothing to offer anyone in terms of morality which it does like if you read the new testament and i went to church school for quite a long time there's a lot in there about jesus and everything there's a lot in there about jesus he's the main character of the new testament and basically a lot of the stuff he said was pretty groovy stuff and a lot of stuff that people are talking about today it's about forgiving people and it's about not being prejudiced towards people who are from different walks of life to you it's about being charitable and taking care of those who can't take care of themselves and these are all good things and i think it's kind of annoying and stupid this book to be like oh turn the other cheek is melodrama no it's not it's about forgiveness it's kind of an important concept to have because 
an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So yeah, that seemed kind of bollocks to me. Also, the idea that there is a Christian kingdom, as if it's like this kind of fenced off castle with the like villages full of serfs and we're just kind of getting people over the wall into witchcraft like come on guys it's all funky and gravy over here we've got cabinets full of stuff and then on page 273-274 it says where is the craft heading so here is silver ravenwolf's vision of the future basically she thinks that the male and female deities of the world are going to come together to form the all and then to quote page 274 at the same time the breakdown of the patriarchal religions will be complete if you've been watching your current events you will have noticed that some of the big boys have begun to drop one by one the savior of the christians will finally have his bride but it won't be the church as they would like you to believe it will be the goddess in whatever form she sees fit to take the almighty jealous father syndrome will bite the dust again very culty very sensationalist very not what wicker is about i think this is a problem as well with more modern books about witchcraft is it's kind of presented as being the antithesis of christian patriarchal religion and in some ways it is because it has like a goddess and worship of the goddess and the equality of the sexes and life and birth and death and the natural cycles of being and sexuality which are things that are kind of repressed traditionally in christianity but i don't think that we should then just kind of become militant about it and set out to destroy christianity because i mean it hasn't ever really done anything to me um and you know it doesn't really do a lot to other people i think this is the problem where people start to conflate modern paganism with the witch trials and all that is that they start thinking that they're being persecuted when the majority of people they won't be especially now because wicca is a more well-known religion it's more well known in america you can have it put on like a pentacle put on military graves you have freedom to express your religion we've come that far because of a lot of people putting in a lot of work so you're even less likely to face persecution now than you were before but people seem to want to feel persecuted and they want to stick it to the man and it's like it's it's a whole religious belief system and you can't just shit on it just because you're into something else now and then we got into probably the the weirdest and my least favourite sentence in this whole book. It basically starts talking about how women are being drawn to the new age because basically Christianity is anti-feminist and men are being kind of forced out of their position of power. And then it says, it's still on page 274. I personally believe that women followers of the Christian doctrine are major catalysts of New Age phenomena. For too long, the churches have accepted their money, their time and their support without giving much in return. And then a couple of lines later, in many cases, severe condemnation because she has to work to survive instead of caring for her little ones and being a good wife. Her husband is absolved from his affairs and she is to be supportive no matter what. No matter how many times she runs her fingers over the notches in the marital bedpost. With a religion like that, who has to worry about some mythical place called hell? She's already got a shitload of it. Definitely time to look for a new religious structure where women are not only supported, but accepted as equals. Enter the new age and the new generation of witches. So, but yeah, basically she's compared the entire experience of living as a Christian, uh, especially as a Christian woman, as being in Christian hell. Like literally being in hell. And yes, I first want to admit that there is a lot of stuff in there that's true about like women being repressed and women being judged because they're not able to quote unquote have it all in and outside of the home 
But that's not necessarily Christianity. That's the Western culture that has grown up around Christianity. Now, you can be Christian and not do those things. I know it's amazing because you can be Christian and lead a good Christian life, according to the Bible, and not be married to someone who cheats on you while you work instead of looking after your children and feel judged because of that. I mean, those things are not about being a Christian. Those things are just about our society. So, again, it just kind of comes off as a bit disgusting to me that she's basically trying to make witchcraft look good by demonising another faith, which is exactly what she has accused Christianity of doing in the whole section where she was like, oh, yeah, and then they stole Persian demons and made them over to be the, the god of the uh, old religion. So basically, she's now using Christianity to make witchcraft look good uh, in the same way that Christians used old world demons to make paganism look bad. And now the final section, section 23, coming out of the closet to tell or not to tell. That is the question. So she's talking about basically how to deal with coming out of the closet. She talks a bit about how she did it and how she lost some friends because of it. And then kind of insults them as well by calling them like vapid and selfish, which is a bit mean. But there we go. Then on page 278, she says this. Magic is for everyone. The craft is for the few strong souls who can stick with it, live with it and share it with others until it is fully accepted by society. Then our time of waiting will be over and the new generation of witches will succeed in matters beyond our dreams. This is like line one of the cult pamphlet like apparently you can't just practice witchcraft on your own as a religion that is spiritually fulfilling to you you have to use it to dominate society and bring about this change that will kill off all abrahamic religions and see the goddess reign supreme again quite culty a bit sensationalist and egotistical as well and very pushy and it continues as someone who works with magic, sooner or later you're going to be found out anyway, let's face it. You will probably carry yourself differently. Confidence does that to a person. You may become articulate, more sensitive, more ethical, happier, richer, healthier. You will succeed in your dreams where others spend their lives wishing instead. Eventually people will wonder what you are doing right. People may also fear you, not because you have threatened them, but because you obviously are not enjoying the same tragedies they are. They will really become suspicious of you if you don't tell them what you are into. Also, witches are truth bringers and sayers. Many people do not live by the truth and won't particularly care that you do. You are now a wolf, not a sheep. It's again this idea of, oh, you're outside the herd. You're edgy and you're not Christian anymore. So you see things the way they really are. And you're going to be richer and happier and healthier. And it's like, all you need to do is send us thirty nine ninety nine every month for the rest of your life. And then you become a cleric of the Silver Ravenwolf Church. I feel like it's going in for the sales pitch. And it's very culty. Yeah, there's a lot in there that is just like, all right, calm down, love. You're going in for the hard sell in these last couple of uh, pages. And then we have questions, which is how to deal with questions for people who aren't Wiccans. And instead of providing some things like, here's a list of resources you can direct people to, or here is like an FAQ section of like what to do when someone says, oh, you worship Satan, blah, blah, blah. It basically is a section on how to weasel out of answering any questions. It says, answering questions about your beliefs may be difficult at first. You want to tell the truth, but you know that you may not be completely understood. Common questions from people that do know you are, how do you know that you are a witch? 
I wonder which is due exactly. And then she says, the first question is rather a stupid one. Oh, okay. That's, that's quite judgmental. And it says later on that page, your best response is to ask them what, a relig- what religion they practice and how they know they are of that religion. Which is basically when people go like, well, how do you know you're gay? And you're like, well, how do you know you're straight? And they go, oh, because I am. And you're like, same. Okay, that, that doesn't really explain anything. Just be like, how do you know you're a witch? I think anyone can be a witch. Just because you've studied witchcraft. It's like being bilingual. There you go. And then it says, how do you steer them away from the topic of witchcraft if you find yourself in a time and place that is not suitable for such a discussion? And then there's a paragraph above that that says, in response to what do witches do or tell me all about witches, be very careful if you are not familiar with the questioner. Instead, get them to talk about themselves by using the conversation techniques you've learned. They may never get an answer to their question on the first meeting, but they will walk away thinking you're a great person anyway because you've listened to them. This sounds like something you'd read in the big Scientology book of how to approach people on the street. Like, if someone asks what Scientologists do, get them talking about themselves and then get them to come to a meeting. It's, it's, oh, it just really strikes a bum note with me. I don't like it. Um, Then she talks a little bit about disagreements, about losing a job because she came out as pagan. And then that she revealed that she was pagan at her new job before they'd even offered her the position, which is a silly thing to do. Like, no, no one can actually ask you your religious persuasion at a job interview. I think it's actually illegal for them to do that. So it just seems like a very strange thing to do to, to offer that information when you don't have to. And I'm not saying, you know, just be sneaky and hide it. But to be honest, it's not their business. A lot of things about your personal life are not your employer's business. Every time I start a new temp job, and I realise this is getting a little ranty. I get in and on the first day people are like, oh, so where do you live? Uh, why are you temping? Where have you worked before? Are you married? Do you have children? And that's like on day one. It's like, I'm trying to learn how the phone system works, Sharon. Um, I don't need you to be questioning me about all of these very personal things. These are not things that I think people should come out and ask you about. If it's information that you want to give, you'll mention it in conversation. And it's definitely not something that I would go into a job interview and be like, oh, yeah, I live here and I have a husband and I have children and I do this and that. And this is why I'm doing that. It's just pointless to offer up information that you haven't been directly asked for. And then we get to finally the end, page 281. And it says this book represents one phase of your training in the art and science of witchcraft. It's hope that you will continue your studies. Uh, and then she talks about other things that you can read about and then that she's going to write another book about some other stuff. And it says, if you have completed all the exercises and experiments presented herein, there is no reason on this planet why you cannot call yourself a natural witch, a real member of the craft. And then it says, thou art now a natural witch, neither bound by tradition nor degree, but by thy own principle and deeds, may you continue to walk wisely on the path to enlightenment. And then I was legitimately surprised when I turned the page and there was not a pre-perforated certificate of witchiness that I could rip out, colour in and fill my name in. Because that's where it felt we were heading. Uh, So that was to ride a silver broomstick. It's been over two hours of me talking about this book. There was a lot in there to unpack. Uh, We didn't really get into a lot of the controversy, but a lot of these things have been said before by other people. Uh, there's one particular page which is posted about a lot it's a blog called wicker for the rest of us which i remember reading quite a long time ago this specific article is called continuing anger over silver ravenwolf and was posted by cassie bayer on june the 5th 2014 so it's it's not 
incredibly recent but it does go into a lot of depth with quotes from many of her books some of which are the same quotes that I've used here I'm just seeing um and sort of breaks down you know her scientific views and her religious views uh, in a way that makes a lot of sense about you know why people dislike it and you only have to look at the review section on the goodreads page to see that people are kind of split over this book so to ride a silver runstick do i recommend it um the short answer is no i do not recommend it because apart from anything else it's now very dated and aside from that it contains a lot of very strange ideas which are presented as factual and canonical in terms of wicca as a religion but they're not because there is no real canon of Wicca. This is basically a collection of things that Silver Ravenwolf believes, and that she has packaged as a version of Wicca, which, if she wants to pattern that and call it, like, being a raven witch or something similar, that's fine. That can be her own type of Wicca, but basically she's saying this applies to everything, and that's untrue. I would recommend Solitary Witch more if you're going to read a Silver Ravenwolf book, which I by no means am saying that that's a must. Um, but I think that book does a better job of being a little bit more open about the fact that people believe different things and it contains a lot more information that's useful as opposed to this book which contains a lot of information that is either incorrect, out of date or irrelevant. Um, and also I, I would consider it quite a low point that it talks about aliens which is just a shade too kooky for me I have to say. I hope you've enjoyed this review. Uh, do let me know if you've read this book, if you've read the other books in the series, because I'm genuinely interested to see if the same material is covered again in To Stir a Magic Cauldron to Light a Sacred Flame or whatever it was called, or if it's about new things, and if so, what new things. Um, so I will be giving those a read, although these are quite meaty to get through, because as you saw, there's a lot of things in here that I need to then talk about and um, kind of organise my thoughts on. But let me know if you have read this book or one of the other ones and suggest any other titles that you'd like to see reviewed in terms of Wicca 101 books that you think might be better or worse than this one. And you can do so in the comments section and on Twitter. You can find the Twitter address, which is just Outward Fix, in the box um, below with all the information in it. Also, don't forget to let me know about your UFO experiences because I'm genuinely curious. And uh, with that, I bid you farewell. You are now a natural witch. Go forth. I will send you your certificate soon. I'll see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>